Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. And we're live. It's Ryan Ripley and Todd Miller with Agile for Humans. Todd, how you doing, bud? I'm doing really good. Feel a little rested, maybe overly rested from a little bit of a break. Yeah, if you're watching this over the next few days, it's right after New Year's. It's just became 2023. If you're watching this into the future, well, welcome to the past. Anyways, we had a, a big news story over the break um, that impacted a ton of people, and it was near and dear to our hearts because we're we are huge customers, or we were, and still are, of this particular airline. Um, I'm sure everybody saw in the news the um, the issues that Southwest was having with getting flights. I think over what Todd, fifteen thousand flights have been canceled. Yeah, it seems like they're getting it back on track right now, but uh, a lot of a lot of cancellations, a lot of stories emerging of people stranded in airports along with crew, um, which is which is interesting. And I think Ryan, as soon as we saw this was related to a technology problem, we started digging in and wanted to know more. Yeah, this always again, like we both have had a list status, we both have companion status, mm -hmm. we both have literally hundreds of thousands of miles with this company. And so this isn't a, yeah. a dig in any sense of the uh, way, shape or form. It's really just, this is a company we love and we're like, what is happening? Cause they are just getting trashed in the news. And then as soon as, like Todd said, as soon as technology popped up, we're like, yeah. all right, this is probably interesting. And so we did a, some Google searching. I'm not going to say research. I don't think typing mm -hmm. in the Google search bar is research. Yeah. Um, but we we did kind of poke and look around a bit. And Todd, you've put together kind of an interesting map here of yeah. uh, what could have happened. Yeah. And just to, to just to reiterate what you were saying, Ryan, I mean, this is a company that um, I don't think we had really anything poor to say about ever. I've had really excellent and amazing customer service from I've had lost bags that they've paid for. I've had free flights. I've had cancellations yeah. that they've made up for. But this is a bigger deal when you're talking about thousands and thousands upon thousands of people in crew stranded in airports. And we did a little bit of research. I'm going to pull up, uh, maybe just pull this mirror up for a little bit to kick off that conversation, Ryan. Yeah. There we go. So what we did find 
is the core of the problem. So what we know of, right, from our internet research. And we're going to provide all the links in the chat. What we want you to do is we want you to follow along, want you to listen, assume that we're incorrect, do your own research, Yeah, yeah. Um, check out the links, put your own story and narrative together. This is just one possible interpretation of what's been happening. Yeah. And, 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 and that interpretation that we've arrived at is that there were apps involved that came to crew scheduling. Right. So where are where are pilots and where are um, where are people that are serving in the planes and uh, like flight attendants? And uh, and what it came down to is the systems seem to have crashed. It seems that in the past that there's been red flags thrown up about these systems with inclement weather would overload them. They would frequently crash and they would just move over to a manual process and a call center. And that's what happened here. But. Because of that big snowstorm that kind of went its way and worked its way across the United States, um, uh, it, 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 it crashed and it didn't come back. And so there was, there was not a, an, a very good idea where the crew was at, including pilots, thousands of pilots left uh, having to pay for their own hotel rooms and things like this. And these two things, from what we from what we gather and what we've read, SkySolver and Crew Web Access for the two applications that failed. And so, if you don't know where attendants are, if you don't know where pilots are, and you're rerouting flights, Ryan, you really can't get a plane up in the air, right? Not not very effectively, right? So if you have, and, and keep in mind, this this started with a, a massive snowstorm, right? Mm-hmm. So very very bad weather, especially in the Midwest. And so they started making adjustments to schedules. When these um, apps went down, they switched to basically phone calls, according to the to the articles, where basically people were calling into a call center trying to reroute pilots and, and flight crew and um, just a massive bottleneck. And of course, when you're basically working off of a telephone with thousands of flights and tens of thousands of people involved and the customers and mm. You know, you, you, this just compiles into this massive snowball of issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from what I gather too, just looking at some of the news, the, the massive issues have actually worked their way up to the federal government where there's going to be an investigation, which isn't, which isn't good. And, and so we, we did a little bit more research. We wanted to understand some of the things that were happening there. Right. So we had these two applications. We see technology in Ryan and I can't help ourselves. Right. And so we did find some information. There's quite a bit out again, the, the, the videos that we watched and the information we found, you can find in the description. But um, some of the tools from a process perspective that they were using is OKR, Objective Key Results, uh, a tool called Path to Agility. I'm not all that familiar with it, so I can't speak to it. And um, Safe. Safe was a, uh, an agile scaling framework that they had uh, they had been working to implement, I think we saw since 2017, 2018, something, something in that regards. Yep. Um, yeah. And then we, I'm sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Uh, I was just going to say, it looks like there was some kind of implementation done um, around, you know, that 2018, 2020-ish range. Mm-hmm. Uh, Path to Agility was a tool that the particular um, consultancy that I believe did the safe implementation. And we found, we'll link some videos where you can check that out. Uh, that's a tool that they use to look at an agile path in an organization. And of course, uh, OKRs, very, very common, very uh, popular you know, goals, goal-oriented framework, more of corporate um, executive level objectives. And we'll get into how those played out as well. Sorry, Ty, I didn't mean to interrupt you. 
Oh, no, 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 no worries at all. Um, and, you know, speaking of OKRs, right? So we think in terms of evidence-based management, right? We t- Brian and I think in terms of evidence-based management, three components to evidence-based management are goals, evidence, and empiricism, right? So um, when we think OKRs, we think of organizational goal setting. How is that happening? And so we did find that there uh, there were uh, technology OKRs and the three technology OKRs that they had from an organizational perspective was faster, better, and more efficient, right? You're talking in in terms of uh, in terms of evidence based management. You're talking at the highest level, strategic, right? Strategic goals. Uh, evidence based management has strategic, intermediate, and immediate tactical goals. All that we know in this conversation, and all that we could see in this conversation, were exclusively centered around what I would consider to be an evidence based management strategic goals. Would you agree? Right. Yep, I would agree. Interesting too. We found. Uh, how they were measuring them, at least two of the three, uh, faster. Uh, but how they were measuring faster was deployment success rate. So deployment success rate, uh, what happens in a lot of organizations, it, it sounds like this was happening at Southwest, is that um, when there is a planned outage, which means a deployment window, when we can deploy software on purpose and we know that it's going to happen, we've alerted everybody involved that there's an outage. By the way, an indication of probably a lot of technical debt to begin with is the fact that you need to provide an outage window to deploy software. That, to me, I think in and of itself spells technical debt to me, we think, Ryan. You know, I, I would agree. Let me temper that a little bit. I do think uh, this is a regulated industry. Ah, I think the, the FAA is involved. I think airports are very particular about when things get updated. So there are probably some regulatory mm-hmm. and, and airport-related overhead that pushes down a bit, but absolutely uh, tech debt indicators are here as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair to say because you need to probably provide those windows and and who knows from a regulatory perspective tell say when they're what's being deployed. Yep. Um so so in any case what what they did though is they wanted they wanted to increase their deployment success rate um, from what it was into they had an objective of 80% or something like that. I'm not forgiving the quote. So to say that they were faster uh, it was an improved deployment success rate. Uh, now, we'll point out that there's probably some flaws with that. Uh, we'll get that one. I think we're going to try to take these and put these in the KVAs and talk about them. Is that okay, Ryan? Yeah. Cool. Um, better. Uh, better was how how they were measuring better is something called a safe predictability score. And so here's what I understand to be a safe predictability score. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. It was the way that it was described in one of our sources that we're going to have is that during API planning, you bring stakeholders in and you have them rank on a scale of one to 10, how much value something has from a business perspective. Then you go back and you look later, was that potential value deployed? And then you have the stakeholders rescore it after it's deployed on a scale of one to 10. And the idea being apparently safe says that it should be 80% or more. Uh, you should have an 80% or more safe predictability score when it comes to this. While some flaws in that, we'll talk about the flaws when we try to map those into uh, into the KVAs. Um, and then the last one, just real quickly, more efficient. Uh, I didn't find a measurement that was provided that would tell us that we were more efficient. I'm assuming giving the, the Southwest like the, the front-facing uh, vision and goals where a lot of uh, the, Southwest dis- the Southwest discussion is on being the lowest cost carrier. I'm assuming there's a cost component to this efficiency. 
Mm. So some kind of um, cost of delivery, some kind of cost of deployment is probably a part of this. Although to Todd's point, nothing was specifically cited. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's, uh, Brian, can we, so, so you mentioned vision, right? I'm going to kind of yeah. bring this up here. I, I put the, the company vision in here, which, you know, to be honest with you, I, I've felt as a customer, the world's most loved, most efficient, and most profitable airline. I, have, I haven't felt the profitable thing, uh, right? Because <laughs> I just haven't. Uh, but, but I've always had really fond experiences and, and it's been efficient. I like the style of boarding personally. Some people don't. I like it, right? Um, but that, that's really the company vision. And when, when we talk about how, how uh, things map into here, like a company vision, strategic goals should be in alignment with that vision, right? These, these, these goals from strategic down really create alignment in an organization. So when I look at the company vision to be the world's most loved, most efficient, and most profitable, I think, Ryan, you were just talking about more efficient. That probably led to more profitable. That's probably the idea behind that, is that right? I believe so. Yeah, it, it's definitely a component. Um, how would you interpret this more efficient? I, I, I think probably under ability to innovate. Is that where you would put it? I would actually, like if I had to place it, I think this more efficient is probably going to slide somewhere like right here. Mm -hmm. And I know in all of our classes, we always tell our students, no, you can't put something in the middle. But I, I really think there's probably some time to market and probably mm -hmm. some ability to innovate things mixed into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I could go for that. I could go for that. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's interesting because just because these things are true, uh, just because we're more efficient, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have higher customer value, does it? No, not at all. And, yeah. and I think this is actually one of the problems that we run into, especially when organizations are using OKRs. This is a convoluted goal. Mm -hmm. Like this is, let's be more efficient. Okay, at what? And how and how would we measure that efficiency? And and so you get kind of these nebulous things that can mean anything so that we could never possibly miss that goal. And so I think this is actually tied a big red flag that we see with orgs uh, using OKRs uh, to set these types of objectives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that sort of leads me to, to wanting to put this down here, uh, the better, this safe predictability score. Um, I think that there was a thought so because you're more efficient. Oh, by the way, I should drag this down here too. Because here's what this was this was saying is, is if we're faster and we're better and we're more efficient, that equals customer satisfaction. That was the hypothesis of why they were measuring what they were measuring. If we're better um, and, and faster and more efficient, that's customer satisfaction, right? That's, that is what they were saying is customer satisfaction. And so I, I probably wouldn't hurt just to say something here, Ryan, like the definition here, ability to innovate, how effective are we, right? How effective? I like it. We're just putting these down here. Um, we would say time to market, just to put this down here. Uh, how, how long does it take? So you've got me now uh, because I, I totally agree with you by by putting uh, by putting the more efficient in between because I think that there's factors in both of these that would that would say that. Well, and um, even if you look at like cost per customer, maybe that's a value measurement, right? So yeah. I mean, the the problem with that type of OKR is that it fits in so many different areas that it just becomes almost meaningless, right? 
Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. And that leads me to drag this puppy down here, right? Uh, so save predictability score. I think the intention was to look at that and think about current value, right? And so current value is the value that we're delivering right now, uh, right. right? So value is currently delivered by the organization. So what value is currently delivered by the org? I think the problem, though, and I, and I think I'm stealing your thunder a bit, is that safe predictability score is really a plan versus actual delivery metric. And so, I, I, and I'm that's an oversimplification. So I wonder, Todd, if that better actually has to slip down to time to market. Yeah. So here's the whole thing about this: that better uh, safe predictability score um, is is a hypothesis of value. Yep. Right. Um, and so this tells us nothing about current value. This is just a hypothesis of value. You have stakeholders coming in and ranking something. And then after it's deployed, you have st- stakeholders ranking it. Um, th- that is just a hypothesis that something is valuable to your customer. Right. Because it's stakeholders, not your customers telling you that. So I, I don't even know that I would classify it anywhere. Right. Um, uh, I- I'm not sure how valid of a metric that is altogether. Uh, I I don't even know if I would put that under time to market just because it just doesn't seem it doesn't well, sit right with me. How about you? The actual definition, and I want to make sure we're I want to be we want to be fair on this. So this predictability metric calculates the ratio of planned business value achieved to actual business value delivered in the PI. And so there's probably some time to market, and there's probably some current value stuff. Again, it's this convoluted it probably sits in between current value and time to market. Yeah. I'm going to say this. Um, I, I'm going to do this, Ryan. And I hope you're okay with it. I don't think that it should sit in between anywhere. <laughs> it should just go away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is not a good metric. Uh, um, I, I don't, it, it doesn't, it's no indicator of value actually delivered, right? Uh, it's, it's an indicator of hypothetical value delivered, but it's not validating anything. There is no validation happening in this. Is that okay? Is that too harsh for you? No, no, no. I think it's great. Yeah. Yep. Cool. I'm glad we agree. Um, so where would you put deployment success rate? De- did it deploy in a outage window? Time to market. Time to market. I think this is another case uh, where you could actually put it in both. Right. Uh, ability to innovate the impact of those windows of regulation. Yeah, I think that you can make another good argument for that. True. Yeah. Cause so, cause I, I would say this just because employee, so we could measure release frequency, right. Um, but just because, and I guess you, you would say release frequency is a time to market measurement, right. But because it says deployment success rate, there's still things that are failing and prohibiting us from deploying during those out, outage windows. So I don't think it's very clear here. Um, I'm not necessarily against uh, that metric. I think that that could tell us something. I don't know that it really clearly delineates between whether we're looking at trying to improve our ability to innovate or trying to get to market faster. Is that right. is that fair? Yeah, I think it works. Just for the heck of it, too, Ryan, I'm going to put this uh, this definition: um, additional potential value, uh, right? Yeah. You know, and it's interesting, Todd, the way that you've got a note up here about uh, customer satisfaction and the way that they're measuring that. And it's the faster, better, more efficient equals customer satisfaction. 
but what I'm seeing are delivery metrics being used to to uh, to basically equal customer satisfaction. And again, we pulled this this equation out of a video with um, Southwest Airlines uh, IT leadership, and so those links are in the in the description. Um, this is not a metric, in our opinion, that measures value, mm-hmm. or which customer satisfaction would be a current value type metric, but that's not current value. These are, this is mainly an organizational's ability to deliver, right? Mm-hmm. So time to market and ability to innovate have to do with an organizational's, an organization's delivery capability. You know, value and current and unrealized value, that's market, that's customer driven. And as you can see, the key OKRs that we were able to pull from, from these interviews and from these videos have nothing to do with customer, have a lot to do with tech. And we're not even talking about the technical debt discussions mm-hmm. um, that have come up since uh, this whole situation has occurred. Um, there's a, an article that we'll post uh, about uh, an initiative started back in 2017, nearly a billion dollar initiative to update technology. Um, and so these are not new issues. These were known. Uh, and I think this is just it's old tech stacked on top of new tech and, and a lot of different things happening at once coupled with a really nasty snowstorm mm-hmm. that just created kind of this perfect storm for, for this type of, of um, situation. Yeah, Ryan, you know, what you're really making me think too is uh, I wonder if fundamentally, and I think we uh, skimmed, I skimmed at least a little bit of an article that another PST had sent us about how, um, organizationally, the way that they were structured might have might have prohibited them from really being able to make the decisions they needed to around customer satisfaction. Now, I don't know, right? I don't know. But if you're viewing, um, if you're viewing, and which a lot of organizationals do, as IT as an expense of doing business rather than part of the business, that these kinds of things are not uncommon, right? Um, so I, I, I haven't had a chance to go through that whole article. You know, you and I got sucked down into a vortex of, of this well, this morning. But I think that I think that um, that that probably weighed into here too. Not not to just say OKR is safe and this other thing that we're, we're path through agility were to blame, but also some organizational structure and things like that, and tech debt and all these things. We're we're just looking at it from a lens and having a conversation about it. You know, and you, if you look at the tooling, that's, that's where my, my head goes to, you know, you, you see the OKRs and of course, you know, OKRs can be used well, uh, but often they lead to this ambiguity that we're kind of, that we're mapping out here. Uh, we of course prefer EBM, but OKRs are, they can be used well. This path to agility tool, it looks like a safe implementation tracking tool where, uh, you know, at a team level, we form teams and they're working and it looks at some baseline metrics on a team. At a system level, it looks like product def- definition and value, very basic again. At, a, at an organizational level, you see, um, you know, vision, strategy, decision making, uh, agility, things like that. But it's checking boxes on the on the safe implementation path. Um mm-hmm. And what, what concerns me is organizations spend so much money to put these scaling frameworks into place, Todd, but does it, do they fundamentally change the technology stack, the architecture, the technical excellence, all of the things necessary for agility to flourish in an organization? And I think this is one example where no, mm-hmm. uh, the transformation may not have had that desired type of impact. And maybe that wasn't part of the transformation. Maybe the transformation was purely at a team level, ignore the technology. If that's the case, 
then this outcome makes sense. But I mean, if I'm leading an, an agile transformation, if I'm involved in an organization and it's my money, I would want the tech stack evaluated. I would want the technology to be um, appropriate for what we're trying to do as an, as an organization in regards to agility. I would want to make those investments before I ever taught a team Scrum or Safe or, or Kanban or Lean, because the, as we see time and time again, the tech stack and the technical excellence and the architecture are going to be far bigger limiting factors, like in this case here, than whether than how agile uh, your your people are. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I know you know that's one of my big major rants is that we spend so much time and attention on training and agile transformation, but the fundamental flaw behind all of it is we can't be because we're not tech technically efficient yep. and sufficient. And you know, all of this really culminates and reminds me and makes me think about um, this red sticky note up here circling back on that. And um, I think that fundamentally this is a flawed thought: is that we could be faster. We could be better, meaning, you know, have a better ability to innovate and be faster. And we could be more efficient and our customers no less, no, no more satisfied. Right. There, there is nothing to me that tells me that just because you're faster, better and more efficient, that your customer will be more satisfied. And I think that that's the point here. Right. We can't we can't kid ourselves and think that just because just because these two are true, just because ability to innovate and time to market. Right. Which I think we've really bucketed a lot of these in besides this one, which just throw out all together. Um, Cause that doesn't tell you anything about current value, but these things could be true and your, your current customers unhappy and your ability to get to new customers or customers or new, give new features that are delightful to customers or they're satisfying to customers isn't there. So yes, we need these, but an entire focus on these really, really, really makes it hard are, are if not impossible to keep focus on what's happening with our current customers. And I think this is a case of that. Yeah. This is one of those cases where if we're trying to, you know, look at from a, an EBM perspective, if I'm looking at current value, Todd, I want some kind of metric that shows, did we get our customers from point A to point B comfortably, safely, and when we promised we would? Right. I think that's the value back to the customer. When I buy an airline ticket, I don't know about you, Todd, but I want it to take off when it says it's going to take off. I want it to land when it says it's going to land. And I want the plane to be clean. I want the, uh, you know, the air filtration to work. I want the, the, the drinks to be, you know, the water to be clean. I want the, uh, you know, the flight attendants to be pleasant and I want the pilots to be competent. You know, I want it to be safe, efficient, effective. I want to get there on, and, and there's no sense of measuring that. At least from the from the data and videos that we've seen. Again, we have a very limited viewpoint. We're not internal. Mm -hmm. Like there, I'm sure there's other things in this place. But if if my if my vision or or value goal is rooted in customer, then some of the things happening on this board, at least what we've seen in talks, do not make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, you know, and 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 inverting that right and looking about how there is something in their literature about um from a company or from a, a employee perspective right which which we believe to be something that is we should be measuring and and that goes under current value right because employee satisfaction and by the way i've had a lot of really amazing run-ins with southwest employees we love the company yeah i have like uh, just just uh generally a very good vibe right with them but 
if I think about something like we've discussed here, like the scheduling software, I just want it to do what it's going to do. I want to show, I want to know that I can show up on time where I need to be, have expectations set so I can do what I'm supposed to do. And for a pilot, that's focusing on safety and getting us out of the sky in good conditions. And for a, um, for a flight attendant, so I could put, uh, you know, my smile on my face, get my job done, give the good experience, support the customers and also safety element there. I don't want to have to be worrying about that. I just, I honestly, and that's what I imagine. And I might be wrong because I've never done either one of those things. I've never been a flight attendant. I've never been a pilot. I've been on a heck of a lot of flights though to know. Um, and and uh, that's that's what the focus should be. When, when you're having stuff like this, where you're having to call around to see where you're supposed to be, where you're going on the software and every rainstorm it's crashing, that's very frustrating to an employee, which I imagine and uh, uh, customers will at some point, if they haven't already feel that, right. I've, I've seen that in some of the stress during flying in storms from, from, uh, from staff before. Um, I can't say anything specifically, but I know when we're in stormy conditions and are delayed, you can see the stress that they don't understand what's happening. Right. And that is then cast upon a customer. So, um, yeah, this is all pretty relatable to me, right. I think the last big takeaway, just to reiterate, is that um, SAFE or any other scaling framework or an application that's checking boxes as you implicate as you implement a scaling framework or even a goal setting framework, including EBM, will not make up for an a an architecture that's flawed, or it will not make up for having too much legacy software in your system, or it will not make up for bad practices and processes and procedures. Um, it will not solve for that. Um, it'll highlight, it should bring forward that there are deficiencies in certain areas that need to be addressed, but no amount of agile transformation that's only rooted in process and in frameworks uh, will solve the technical excellence issue. And yeah. so that's why, I mean, Todd, we've get, we've passed on hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in work because we believe that the investment should be tech, uh, tech and, um, architecture and excellence first, and then we'll come in and work with your teams. And that's usually not um, the direction that organizations want to go in. Yeah. I, I mean, I've told you a bunch of times how I was once thrown out of a CIO's office because I told them that they should take the money that they want to invest in training and things like that. And they should put it into their tech because there's no process that's going to solve those problems. Right. Right. Um, and this has just been a long time stance of mine that we're forgetting all of this stuff. We're 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 getting hung up on uh, on that, and then we're also losing sight of customer because it's bad to just focus on that as well, right? You, uh, you as the saying goes, you eat an elephant uh, one forkful at a time, and yep. so for a lot of companies, just to resolve that out of the gate is impossible. So it's a balance, and that's why we love these KVAs, and we love the goal settings, uh, uh, the goals that um, evidence based management suggests because. It gives you some insights into where you might be uh, at current at yeah. current and and evaluate that. Now, this could also, to your point, be used poorly and well, not solve your problems. But we want the conversations to be there so that, that hopefully this kind of thing doesn't happen. I think if you take your current goals, OKRs, whatever you're doing, map it to the key value areas, work with professionals like Todd, myself, other other people who are trained in this framework. I think you can find some of the the gaps, deficiencies, the issues, and start working towards uh, a a plan to to correct those. And so I think it's a very revealing framework 
that can help make some some better decisions. Todd, I think we've covered um, our thoughts on this. Again, I want to encourage everybody to take everything we've said with a super huge grain of salt. We want you to follow the links that we've provided and uh, check them out yourselves. If you agree, disagree, have different information, throw it in the comment section. We're more than happy to revisit this and maybe even do some commentary on some of the videos if this proves to be interesting to others. But again, this is just our um, outsider view uh, mm -hmm. of some materials that we found online. We're certainly open to other information and uh, we want you to be super critical in your thinking on this. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think in the comments. Yeah. Anything else to add there, Mr. Miller? I don't think so. Think All right. Let's uh, take out uh, our piece there, bring our branding back up. And I think we're ready to close this out. So we hope you enjoyed it. Like and subscribe. Hey, a ton of you watch these videos and you're not even hitting the like button. We're not even asking for just hit the like button. The like button helps bring our content up in the YouTube algorithm. So if you're not going to subscribe, at least like it for Pete's sake. It's been 30 minutes you spent with us, right? You can, <laughs> you can give us a like on this video. Check out our socials. We're pretty big on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn. We're kind of a big deal there. Uh, some videos are going to pop up. There's some other, there are free courses. Check out our free course uh, on the Scrum Framework and on EBM. We think that will be beneficial to you as well. For Todd, I'm Ryan. Go forward. Do some great things. Check out EBM. Avoid some of these traps. And uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and scrum on.